0: Welcome to the Difference Maker Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. The Difference Maker Podcast spotlights individuals and organizations making a difference every day in our communities. As a fundraising consultant, benefit auctioneer, and MC for good, I have the good fortune to work alongside and see these not-for-profit difference makers in action. Here on the podcast is where we share their stories of passion, purpose, and service. Let's meet these incredible difference makers and organizations powering social good.
1: We moved around frequently until I was about eight, and then my family settled in Northern Virginia and stayed here. And I left to go to college in Ohio. I went to Miami University, and then I stayed there for grad school. And then what do you do when you don't have a job and you finished uh, grad school, you moved back home. So I moved home and then I found a job here um, pretty quickly and stayed in the area and I've been here ever since.
0: So Miami of Ohio, their tagline is Miami Made Forever Prepared. Do you feel like you came away pretty prepared? Because I feel like what you studied in education and speech pathology and audiology, I feel like that is something that you've carried forth, obviously, in different iterations throughout your career, but it certainly seems to be a path that you've stuck with.
1: Yes, Absolutely. I'm so thankful for the education that I had at Miami. Our program was a smaller program, but it really allowed us to have good interaction with the professors. We had a really active clinic and I definitely left school feeling prepared to start my clinical career. Um, but then as any clinician in it, pretty much <laughs> any practicing clinician of any kind will tell you uh, all you learn in school is the textbook stuff. Um, so, you know, right. it takes a few years to really feel like you have a solid grasp on what you're doing professionally. So it was good foundation.
0: Choosing that path of speech pathology, you're helping individuals relearn how to use language and develop other means of communication and those sorts of things, even things, technical things, right, getting into swallowing. Mm -hmm. What drew you to that field? Was there something that was impactful to you growing up? Is it something that you've witnessed, family, anything like that, or is it just you were naturally drawn to the field?
1: Some of all of that, actually. When I was in high school and trying to figure out what I was going to major in in college and looking at colleges based on majors then, I had initially thought that maybe I wanted to study medicine or maybe I wanted to go into education. I found some of my high school college science classes to be pretty challenging and I thought, I'm not sure that this is uh, medicine is the right direction. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so my high school guidance counselor um, suggested looking into therapies. She said, sometimes, you know, it's kind of in between. You can work in a school, you can work in a hospital, and it's um, it might be something that resonates with you. And I did have a family member that had been in speech therapy when um, he was in elementary school. So that was the one that I had the most familiarity with. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to go in this direction, and then when I figure out what I'm really going to do, I'll just change my major. But once I started studying it, I really enjoyed it. I really liked learning about communication, and whether it's typical communication or um, what we call disordered communication, I, I found it all really interesting. And the more I studied it, the more I liked it. And I also really liked the fact that there are so many things that you can do within the profession, that you can work all the way from the NICU with premature babies through the end of life. And um, it offered a lot of opportunities. So then once I started really focusing my work, I thought I wanted to work with kids because, again, I had that education piece um, that I was interested in. and One summer I was looking for, again, looking for a job, Um, Mm -hmm. and I uh, wanted something that was relevant to the field. And this was when I was in college, and I I got a job at the Sunrise, Sunrise of Falls Church, Mm -hmm. and started working with older adults. And I just loved it. I loved the connection and the stories that they would tell. And um, it really switched the direction of my career from wanting to work with kids to wanting to work with adults. And then I minored in gerontology. And when I was in grad school, I got a graduate certificate in gerontology. And I just really enjoyed working with the older population. So Once I started working in a medical setting, then I was working with adults of all ages, pretty much, you know, 18 through 90s. Um, Mm -hmm. And I I have always appreciated the variety that brought.
0: Did it change the way you practiced, do you feel, learning a little bit about where they came from? Right now, I feel like in this digital age, I feel like things have been very um, homogenized in a way almost and curated people's lives, right? We get to see the shiny and the clean and the fun, but we don't really learn a lot about uh, some of the nuance and some of the challenges in life. I'm sure you got that probably in that time, you know, starting with in that clinical setting right in the late 90s.
1: Yes, absolutely. I had an, an early supervisor who had a life philosophy, a prof- professional life philosophy, that if you haven't learned something new, Uh, Then it was a waste of a day. And she's Mm. like, so at the time I thought like, oh, learn something new about how to apply this clinical approach. But what she really meant was like, learn something new by talking to the people you're working with. And so when your goal is to improve speech or communication, you have to talk about something. And you get the best output if you're talking about what the other person is interested in. So I've had conversations that go in-depth about things like stamp collecting, um, hot air balloons, um, of course, um, more typical hobbies like golf or tennis. But if you get somebody talking about something that they're passionate about, you get so much more output from them. And then that's when, you know, I'll have this aha moment I'm like, oh, look at that. I learned something new today about the history of this particular stamp in your collection and why it's so valuable. And mm. I've, I've loved that, that people bring such interesting hobbies and stories and experiences into the therapy setting. It keeps it very interesting the whole time.
0: Tell us a little bit about Stroke Comeback Center. Now, you found Stroke Comeback Center. This would have been in the early 2000s. What drew you to Stroke Comeback Center from the clinical setting? Because Stroke Comeback has an approach that is supportive programs that are peer-driven, but they're not necessarily clinical in nature. Maybe define what that difference is and, again, what brought you there.
1: Sure. So at the time, I was working in outpatient rehab, and most of the people that would come through our practice had insurance, third-party insurance, whether it was Blue Cross Blue Shield or Medicaid or Medicare. But most of the insurance policies limit the number of therapy visits a person can have, whether it's in a calendar year or time period from when their injury or their illness happened. And so what I was finding as an outpatient clinician is that I would be working with people, say, who had a stroke and had changes in their communication And there was so much progress that they could make. There was so much recovery that was available to them, but they didn't have the insurance to cover it. And it was a really hard conversation when you're looking at somebody who has a lot of life to live and a lot of potential recovery and say, I'm so sorry, but you're out of visits or next week is going to be our last appointment. And then sometimes people have the option of private paying, but it's extremely expensive, and most people don't. So in those early days of Stroke Comeback Center, it gave us another choice, another opportunity for people to continue addressing their their recoveries, and there weren't a whole lot of other options, and there still aren't a whole lot of other options for people to have that continued recovery and continued support throughout the duration of their recovery period. And what makes Stroke Comeback Center's approach to that different is that we use what's called a life participation approach. So in a a medical-based setting, we are really driven by metrics that we need to be able to quantify improvement and progress, and it needs to be measurable, and then that's how insurance companies will be able to justify their care. And what we do at Stroke Comeback Centers, we are less focused on those quantifiable objectives, and we're really more focused on what's important to this person for them to be able to participate in their life and be active in their life and so maybe it's something like they really want to be able to order their own coffee at starbucks so we practice it and we whether it's using notes or using what we call a script sometimes the scripts are actually videos of somebody else's mouth and they go in with an earbud in and they Mm. watch the video and they use that to be able to order their cup of coffee that to us is success and that to that person is success it's harder to justify that to an insurance company that that's, that, that we're working towards ordering a cup of coffee. Um, so a lot of the therapy techniques that we use in order to get there are the same as what might happen in a medically based practice. But in a life participation approach, we don't have necessarily the time constraints. We have lots of opportunity to tweak things to try it again. Um, you know, if it takes 10 times to get the coffee right, that's fine as long as we get there and as long as we help that person meet their goal.
0: So coming in with that clinical background, coming to the Stroke Comeback Center, you've taken different roles on over the course of that time. I mean, really, since 2008, you were director of member services and then program director and now executive director. How has your role within the organization evolved since you began?
1: Yeah, well, when I think back to those early days in 2008, our program was so small. Um, we, we were so excited when we got to 30 members. We thought, Oh my gosh, I cannot believe it. we have 30 people that come here every week. <laughs> and now we're at like 130 people every week. Wow. Um, so it was the opportunity throughout all that time to help the organization grow, which was really exciting on my part. There were things that would come up, like you know, thinking 2008 to now, um, social media, is something that was introduced during that time. So, when the organization needed a social media presence, you know, there were only three of us that worked here. So, I raised my hands, okay, I'll try it. And so, that has been kind of fun. That's certainly not something that I learned in grad school uh, in the 90s. Um, so, I figured it out, and it's been fun to have that grow and change with time, and then also watch our programs grow and change. We added fitness programs and adaptive yoga. And now we have music therapy and we have multiple centers. So we have our center here in Vienna and we have one in Rockville, Maryland, and we have a virtual center. And it's it's been really rewarding to have the opportunity to kind of get my hands dirty and help the organization move in new directions.
0: There's so much flexibility with programs when you're getting back to the business of living. And you're mm-hmm. less focused necessarily on those clinical measures, right? That would be approved by an insurance company. You're working on more things that are really related to life for the members. Yes. And so, what you guys really focus on, right, is aphasia. Aphasia is something that is uh, in effect from a stroke. I, I was hoping you could go into a little bit of detail about what aphasia means for your members. And of course, programs that go into improving symptoms related to aphasia and really helping them communicate and comprehend language and understanding and in a way that just enhances their quality of life?
1: Sure. Yes. So aphasia is a language disorder that happens most often as a result of stroke, and it can impact all areas of language or what we call language modalities. So that's talking, listening, reading, and writing. So it's very similar to thinking if today you go to bed as a native English speaker and you woke up tomorrow morning in a foreign country and you can't read the signs and you can't understand what people are saying and you can't um, speak back to them and you can't write something down because their language is different. Um, So nothing about you changed otherwise. You still have the same knowledge, the same thoughts but you don't have the tools to communicate it. And um, aphasia can be very mild, where if you're talking with someone, you might not notice it. They feel it. They feel like they're working harder to carry on the conversation. So it can be very mild. It can also be very severe, where people have very little output or comprehension that really impacts their ability to communicate effectively. So There are tons of tools and strategies that can help people with aphasia, and aphasia does get better with time and with practice and with intervention. And knowing that, um, that's really the driving force behind most of our programs here at Stroke Comeback Center to support language and communication and improvement in people with aphasia. March
0: 2020, the global pandemic sets in. These are programs that are heavily involved. Face to face, person to person. Mm -hmm. Not only are the members gleaning advancement for themselves through the interactions with the leaders of those classes and instruction, but also with each other, being able to talk amongst themselves and practice that conversational uh, language. That goes away in a pandemic when you can't be together.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: And you didn't miss a beat, really, when that happened. Tell us a little bit about what crossed your mind when this was going down, and then and how you overcame that challenge. You enabled these classes basically to continue and your members still get the benefit of those services.
1: Yeah. And, we, you know, when I think back to that time, it, it's really unbelievable to even think about. Um, so we had started, at the end of 2019, we had started a virtual program and uh, we had about, I think, five virtual classes a week. and. You know, It was the smallest of our programs, but at least we had some idea of how to do things virtually. We had one of our clinicians who was learning this as she went. So then we fast forward to March 2020, and we saw the writing on the wall. We knew that we were going to have to close our doors, but we thought we'd at least have enough time to get our members back here, to be able to show them in person how to do a virtual class, to show them what Zoom looked like, to be able to be in the same room and, and demonstrate it all. But then everything happened so fast that we didn't have that opportunity. You know, in Virginia, the governor basically closed us down and everyone was at home. And we thought, okay, well, we need to keep going. We need to keep this connection going. We need to keep our programs going knowing that stroke is often an isolating experience. We cannot take this isolated community and make them even more isolated. So we thought we'd give ourselves a week and, um, just move everything onto zoom, not knowing how, (laughs) how challenging Mm. that was going to be. Um, so, as I was saying, you know, most of our participants have difficulties with language. So, it's not a population that you can say, just, hey, no problem, go to the app store, download Zoom, I'm going to email you a link, you click it, we're good. Um, it wasn't that at all. It was a lot of hand holding. There were some times I would be FaceTiming on my phone with someone um, while we're trying to get on Zoom on an iPad or a, or a laptop at the same time. Um, but we did it. We just have this tremendous team here that saw the need to do this and to do it quickly and just rose to the occasion Um, so I I would never want to say that I did it myself because I certainly didn't did not Um, it was the team here that um, really just jumped into action and I mean we were running zoom calls all day that week that we were down just training people to get ready for our virtual classes the following week so in that one week we trained one week. 80 Oof. one week we trained 80 stroke <laughs> survivors that week and our professional team we had one person that knew how to use Zoom so you know she trained us and then we trained the members and then we rolled out some virtual classes the following week just hoping that our members would come and and they did and they were willing participants and happy to have the connection. And then from there, it just grew and it grew and it grew. And it really sustained us over the pandemic. And even now, we've reopened our centers in Rockville and Vienna, but our virtual program continues to be our biggest program. And it's here to stay. Our virtual program isn't going to go away. But with that being said, it has also been great to be back in our centers. And the last week of every session, we run our programs in nine-week sessions. The last week of every session is game week, and we play lots of games in our different classes. And that's where we are this week. And pretty much all day, I can sit in my office and hear people laughing coming out of our group oh. rooms. Um, just, you know, the connection, the fun, the mood has just been it's been great. And, and one of our clinicians stuck her head in the other day and said, I just want to say, I know it was a lot of work for us to reopen, but it was worth it to get through game week because everybody <laughs> had so much fun today and people just need fun. We haven't had a lot of fun over the last year and a half.
0: I, I, I know. And, and, you know, that's something that really struck me. You were generous enough to invite me over to take a tour of the facility and then also sit in and a few of the classes that were going on last week. And, and, that is something that jumped out to me immediately is laughter and fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You think with such a, a life-changing, a potentially life-changing event like a stroke and surviving that and then moving your way into thriving from that. Mm-hmm. But what I've really found that just made such an impact on me is how they understand they're working through it together. They're encouraging Each other as they're expressing themselves and relearning language. And I I can picture in my mind game week being that (laughs) joyful type of experience because I saw that even in just the classes that I I saw a speech language class and then one that was a cinema discussion class.
1: Yeah, the support they have for each other is what keeps people coming back. I mean, I say all the time, you guys are in charge. I just work here. Um, And it's so Mm -hmm. true that it's their connection with each other. And then when somebody says something in class and another group member says, that sounded so good. You couldn't have done that a month ago. You couldn't have done that last year. That reinforcement to them means a thousand times more than if I had said the same thing, because that person that's sitting next to them has been walking through this with them. And it's great. It's, it's absolutely the magic to a place like this is that connection that the members have with each other. And that's really what drove a lot of people to come back to our in-person classes is they just plain old wanted to see each other. They wanted to see their friends. They hadn't seen them in a year. Um, they wanted to come back.
0: Well, it seems like you guys have embraced technology. You've moved into that next phase as far as offering your programs in a virtual, just about seamless way. Um, there's always going to be challenges with that. I'm sure logging in and, and getting everybody yeah. uh, together and and that will probably continue. You know, There's always going to be challenges with that, but still to be able to access those programs that way is is phenomenal. You guys have a great reach online as well. You're on Instagram, you're on Facebook, you're on Twitter. And so where I want people to be able to do is reach out and find, learn a little bit more about stroke rehabilitation, learn about aphasia. Things that you address directly there at the Stroke Comeback Center. Again, two locations in Vienna as well as Rockville, and then they can find you online at strokecomebackcenter.org, mm-hmm. on Facebook as well, Stroke Comeback Center, Twitter. Your handle is at stroke comeback. And then, if they were to inquire or have any questions for the center to send a note to info at strokecomebackcenter.org. And again, they can join at any point in their recovery. The door is wide open for members to join at any point in time, and you will never be turned away, any stroke survivor, due to the inability to pay.
1: That's right. That is an uh, important part that makes our programs unique as well. And that's all due to our our generous donations from our, our supporters, and we're so appreciative of that.
0: What a wonderful program. Really appreciate you, again, sharing your story and how you came and discovered Stroke Comeback Center and incorporated all the skill sets and the professional experience that you developed in the clinical setting. And then we're able to apply it here in daily life, incorporating recovery after surviving a stroke. It's really quite a story to tell. I really appreciate it, Suzanne.
1: Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. And thanks for coming in to see us in action.
0: Thanks for listening to the Difference Maker Podcast, where we spotlight individuals and organizations making a difference every day in our communities. Be sure to subscribe to the Difference Maker Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and receive new episodes as soon as they're released. I'm your host, Rick Bernstein. Be good, be you, and keep making a difference.